Hello, and welcome to episode 77 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. If you've listened to the show before, you'll know that I asked my guests to tell me about a rock star manager that they had the privilege and pleasure of working with and for. Well, now I want to hear about your experience. Is there a manager that you've worked for, or maybe you currently work for, who has positively influenced you, or helped shape your career, or who has just made the experience of working for them such a positive one? I would love to hear about this person and what made them so fantastic. You can share your story by going to managerialgreatness.com. And if you want, when you share your story, you can provide the name and email address of this rockstar manager, and I will share your praise with them in a special shout out. And you can also give me permission to share your story on an upcoming episode. So go to managerialgreatness.com and tell me about this amazing person in your life. That link is in the show notes and it's in your inbox and it's on my website, mamieks.com, in case you can't remember when you get to your computer later today. Now, a warm welcome to Stephanie R., the newest member of the Modern Manager community. Stay tuned for more information on the benefits of membership and how to join after my conversation with this week's guest, which is my friend and colleague, Carrie Jaros. Carrie is Chief Operating Officer at Gojo Industries, inventor of Purell Instant Hand Sanitizer which you might not know, is actually my family's business. Started by my grandfather and then led by my father and my sister over many years. Carrie will become president and chief executive officer on January 1st, 2020. At Gojo, Carrie brings her passion for the Gojo purpose, saving lives and making life better through well-being solutions to her work daily. Her focus is on continuously extending Gojo leadership as a market-making, growth-oriented company that cares about the health and well-being of people, both out in the world and within its own walls. As an executive, board member, and investor, Carrie has worked on and in over 50 organizations, from startups to established public and private companies to nonprofits. She spent the first decade of her career at Bain & Company before taking on progressive operating roles in several other companies. Carrie is also a registered yoga teacher and daily practitioner, and I've had the pleasure of doing yoga with her early in the morning prior to our meetings, and she's just awesome. Carrie has developed a really cool end-of-year reflection process that she's used for years with her teams. I actually learned about it from various leaders that I'm working with at Gojo who were raving about their experience with it in the past year. So, of course, I wanted Carrie to share it with all of you. So she'll walk us through the various components so that you can use this process with your team. And an early heads up that members of the Modern Manager community get her templates and worksheets to use with your team. Now here's my conversation with Carrie. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Carrie, I am so excited to have you here today. I cannot wait to talk to you because you are not only an amazing person and friend, but you are taking the reins of my family's business in just a few months. And I am so excited for you to be at the helm of our company. Thanks, Mamie. I'm so happy to be here and to get to do this with you. All right. So you have developed some pretty fantastic activities and a process to use for end of year reflection. And actually, I'm going to be using it with one of the teams that I coach. So this is going to be a good learning opportunity for me in addition to all of my listeners. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about this process and how you developed it? 
Sure. So about 10 years ago, when I was really leading the first large size team outside of the consulting firm where I had grown up, it was the end of the year. And I felt like I wanted to get the team together to reflect on the year together and also to get some new team members who had just joined sort of into the fold. And so we set up a time and an offsite location to have this session. And then I realized I didn't really have any materials to use, that there was nothing off the shelf because I was really a pretty new manager in a company. I didn't really have any tools to use. So I thought about what I had done in the past and other experiences at Bain and other places. And I started to cobble together a little bit of a toolkit, a few exercises. As I pulled together the exercises for that event, I drew from, as I said, bits and pieces from other experiences I had had at the end of projects or at the end of work that I had done and teams. And I built what I now can see was sort of the prototype for this end of year reflection process that I've used over many, many years. And how has it changed? Can you just give us a little example since you called the first version a prototype? Yeah, absolutely. So I am in general, as I think about sort of pulling teams together and doing work as groups, whether we're doing business content or more this kind of reflection work, I really see each one of those sessions as an opportunity to really tailor it to the group. This has been true of this end of your reflection as well. So over time, I have brought in new exercises that I've experienced myself through trainings or that I've read about in articles. And I've also dropped pieces that haven't worked as well. The program that I use now and I've used for the last couple of years has really sort of three main pieces to it. So let me sort of frame what we do a little more broadly just to help the listeners. So typically what I'm doing now, and as I said, this has evolved over the years, but now what I tend to do is I tend to take a day in December for my teams and we spend the first half of the day doing these reflection exercises and then we typically spend the afternoon volunteering somewhere together. So we have three to four hours together in the morning. And I send out some material ahead of the meeting to get people in the right mind frame. So I send them an agenda. Many of them will have been through it before, but every year we have brand new team members who get this invite and probably start to panic, wondering what we're doing for this reflecting in December before we you know, go to the food bank. And so I try to send out an agenda to put them all at ease. And so as part of the agenda, there's typically some pre-work. The pre-work for the agenda is just getting in the right mind frame to come in and do a combination of what I call both professional and personal reflection. So when team members get to the meeting, we typically have tables set up around the room. I ask folks to sit anywhere they want at the beginning. And so at the beginning of the exercise, they tend to sit with people who they know, right? People who they work with every day. That's just sort of human nature. And so we start at the beginning of the day with the first third of the work, the first exercise. And this exercise I call future self. And in the future self exercise, the very first thing I do is actually send everybody away. So I have them all go somewhere. They can stay in the room or they can leave and go somewhere else in the building. And they go spend 30 minutes in quiet reflection with just their laptop or a notebook. And in this first session, what they're doing for 30 minutes is imagining themselves in their life 15 years from that morning. So there are some prompts that I provide, things like how old are you? How old are the important people in your life? Where do you live? What is your morning like when you wake up? What do you do during the day? What do you do in the evening or on the weekend? And I really try to get people to transport themselves to 15 years from today. And I say that it's your future self. It's not an idealized life, but it's a life that makes you happy to think about having. So what does that life look like when you wake up 15 years from today? So we do that as the first exercise for about 30 minutes. 
And then the group comes back together and we spend about 30 minutes debriefing the exercise with people at their table. Yeah. And I get when I first sort of announce what we're doing, the people who haven't done it before look at me with terror. (laughs) They're of all different ages. So, you know, I have people on my teams who for whom it's their very first job out of college. And so 15 years from then, today, they might be totally single, living alone in an apartment in their first job. And 15 years from now, their life looks really different. There are other people on my teams who might might have been working for 30 years. And thinking about 15 years from now is also really different. They might be well into retirement. And so it's a pretty challenging exercise to really project yourself 15 years from today. But a, a lot of the value is actually having it be far enough away that it's really different, that you can't sort of just incrementalize and assume it's just a little bit changed. Mm, I like it. So anyway, folks go away, they do this exercise, they come back together. And the the questions that I ask as they sit down at their table and turn to the person next to them are one, what was hard about this? And so they talk for a little bit about what was hard. And then we turn to what surprised you in your own writing? And that's Mimi, I'll tell you where the room really starts to get animated as people talk through what surprised them, how they surprised themselves as they were writing about their life 15 years from today. Wow. So you might be thinking, okay, that's sort of a weird thing to do at work in December when it's the end of the year and you're you know, planning for the following year and you're writing performance reviews and you're trying to finish up all your projects. But I find that starting that way and having people open up to a neighbor talking about something that's really far outside of their immediate purview really changes the rest of the day. It really puts them in a place where they are thinking outside of their task list, thinking outside of the, you know, the holiday presents they haven't bought yet really removed from sort of the day-to-day grind. So we do that exercise first, and it really opens people up to the possibility of what they want their lives to be like. After that exercise, we move into two other exercises that are much, much more focused on the here and now and then on the next couple of years. So the next exercise, after we've done the future self work, I make everybody get up and move tables, and I ask them to sit next to somebody who they don't know as well. So we all get up and move. And the next exercise is much more of a traditional end of year reflection exercise. So I give participants, they all have a workbook that has all these exercises in them. So they flip to the next exercise. And the next exercise has three columns on the page. The first column is what my team accomplished this year. And there's a list of bullets for them to sort of put their accomplishments next to. And it's the, you know, the top five things I'm really proud of. And the middle column is five things that I personally accomplished at work this year. And again, there are five bullets. And the third column is five things that I accomplished personally in my life outside of work this year. And so I say, go ahead, you know, spend some time by yourself thinking about what those accomplishments are. And it gets very quiet and everybody gets very serious sitting there doing their self-reflection. And I walk around and let me tell you a couple things I see, Mamie. The first thing I see is that most of the people who I work with over many years seem to have a pretty easy time filling out the first column. These are folks who, you know, work really hard. They take their jobs really seriously. They're mostly, you know, middle managers or senior leaders in in our company. And they had goals for the year and they tend to sort of be able to pretty quickly jot down what they did. The second column, which is accomplishments that they did personally, they also seem to be able to do, though. Most of the folks in organizations where where I have spent my time tend to be much more team-based than sort of self-based. And so the middle column, maybe they have two or three things that they're proud of, but it's not as long a list. And the last one I will tell you is it's almost a recurring joke now with the folks who have taken this exercise with me over the years. My folks have a really hard time filling out that last column. You know, unless they've gotten married or had a baby or bought a house, they tend to really struggle with their personal accomplishments. 
you know, I don't know if that resonates with you or if you imagine that you would have the same experience. Well, actually, I worry that I have the opposite experience, which is that I spend a lot of time and energy on life outside of work. And I need to be better at being super clear about my own accomplishments inside of work. That's really interesting. I should have you come to my session this year so that you can counsel some of my leaders and maybe they can help you in return. I would love that. So what happens after people have filled out their three columns is I ask them to look at the template and there are two little checkboxes empty next to each one of the accomplishments. The first column of checkboxes says, did I have a goal? Question mark. And the second little column says, did I have a plan? And I ask people to go through and look at each of their accomplishments and next to each one of them, check off whether they had a goal at the beginning of the year to do that thing or whether it sort of emerged over the course of the year. And then secondly, if they had a goal, did they have an actual plan to do it or were they just going to sort of see how things moved over the course of the year and just try to get it done? And inevitably, as we go through the list, it turns out that the places where participants had both a goal and a plan tended to be the things that really show up at the top of their list that they feel most proud of, that really sort of went as they had intended. And that, in fact, in that last column, not only do they have trouble writing anything down, but when I ask if there was anything in their life outside of work that they had both a goal and a plan for, I get a lot of blank stares, again, with the exception of babies maybe, and houses and weddings. Those tend to be things that people have both a goal and a plan for. I love how it's kind of like on the down low, teaching a really good lesson, which is if you don't have a goal and you don't have a plan, you're much less likely to accomplish anything. It's like a nice way to teach a lesson without making it so overt. Yes, there's a famous quote that I I believe says, a goal without a plan is just a dream. I need to look up for you who said that, but I think about that all the time. I love it. So that's the second exercise. And then we move into the final exercise of the day. So again, I make people get up and change seats and sit next to somebody else who they don't really know. And I see that this works over the course of the day. The very beginning when we're doing future self, that feels really high risk for people. But by the end of the day, everybody's sort of opened up and really talkative. And it turns out to be a really nice way to get my little covert objective, which is some team building mixed in. So I have folks get up and change tables again. And after some sighing and moving all their stuff, they do it. And the third exercise has a couple of steps. So the first step in the third exercise is, again, my participants sort of flip the page in their workbook. And there is a section where they are asked to identify areas of their life that are important to them. And there's some examples. So it could be, you know, your relationship with your partner. It could be, you know, your aging parents. It could be, you know, your community. It could be if you have a religious organization that you're affiliated with. It could be obviously your job. And so people sort of go through and and list on this template things that are important to them. And uh, of course, there are people in the room who want me to be very specific. I get lots of questions because they want to do it right. But we sort of work through that and get people to essentially just lay out areas of their life that are important. And after they've done that, we flip the page and I provide them a template, again, from my management consulting days, which is a spider chart. And the spider chart essentially has little legs that sort of all branch off from the middle. And each of the legs has five little hash marks on them. And the ends of the, of the legs are blank. And so I ask participants to label the legs with those areas of their life that they've selected that are important. And so once they've labeled the legs and realized that, you know, now they now they want some new areas because there were too many legs or they had too many areas and they draw some more legs, everybody sort of gets their own version of this. And then I ask them to spend a few minutes and just go through and 
assuming that a zero, you know, the middle of that spider is sort of not thriving at all, not really living out their best selves on that leg of the spider. And the end of the spider would be total fulfillment. I asked them to go around and rate their current satisfaction with how they're performing in each of those areas of their lives. And again, I get lots of very specific questions. They want to know exactly how to calculate their performance. They want to know if it's how they perceive that they're performing versus their partners. And I say, listen, guys, this is not about precision. This is about getting the feeling of this. Just go around the legs. You know how you feel you're doing on each of these dimensions. And so with a little grumbling, everybody goes around and starts to fill out their spider chart. And, you know, there are folks in the room who tend to give themselves, who are tough graders and tend to give themselves, you know, low scores everywhere. There are folks who are sort of higher graders and maybe give themselves higher scores. But everybody ends up with a picture that more or less reflects how they feel like they're performing relatively in these different areas of their lives. Make sense so far? It does. And I like that you just said that it's how they're performing relative to each of the other areas, because, you know, I'd imagine that it doesn't really matter if you're a low score or a high score or you're hard on yourself or you're you're easier on yourself. What actually matters is how do you understand each of these different areas of your life in context with each other? You're spot on, Mimi, and you'll understand why that's so important in a minute. So as they move from going to the, through that piece of work to the next piece, I say, okay, now step back. Think about all the work we've done so far today. Think about your future self in 15 years. Think about how you just evaluated yourself on your year of accomplishments Imagine that it's five years from now and you're going to go back through and rate yourself on this spider. How would you want it to look? And maybe the answer is you want it to look exactly like it looks today, but, but maybe there's some areas where you'd like to see some change. And so I ask folks to take a few minutes and just create a sort of a spider on top of their spider that's five years from now. And so participants go through that exercise. I typically have provided two colors of pens on the table because it's sort of fun to do this with two different color pens since you're working on the same spider. And as you can kind of imagine or visualize, you start to see some places where the spider changes shape. Now, I don't want to give away the biggest insight that comes from this work, but it's also pretty interesting. What do you think we should do here? Well, you can't start by saying it's the biggest insight and then not tell me what it is. Well, let's assume that the folks who are listening to your podcast are going to do this exercise with others. And so so they can sort of know the secret and then not share it. Do you think that's fair? Yes. And so listeners, as you're listening to this, know that you are hearing this because you are going to do this with your teams and it's helpful for you to know. But don't tell them this before they do the exercise. All right, good. So now that we've avoided the spoiler. So what happens every single time, Mimi, and I mean every single time, is when participants draw their new spider, guess what? The area of the new spider chart that's sort of, you know, when you look at, when you connect all the dots and look at the area of that shape that's sort of sitting on the spider, it's much bigger five years from now than the version that they create for today. And what I tell participants is, if you really think about that, guys, the reason it's bigger is you're assuming that you're going to be able to actually spend more time or you're going to be able to do more. Why? Why are you going to be able to do more? If today you're not spending enough time with your aging parents for your liking or you're not getting enough exercise or, you know, you haven't volunteered on a board in your community and you're doing lots of other things, why is that going to change in the future? How are you going to be able to do that? And as we start to have some facilitated discussion at our tables, what emerges is that that's not really reasonable. In fact, that kind of flawed assumption that we'll be able to have more capacity in the future than we have today is one of the things that I think really gets in the way of people creating meaningful change in their lives. Does that make sense? 
Yes. And I really just wanted to say, boom, because that's what my daughter does every time <laughs> something like exciting happens. So like that deserved a boom. Yeah. And what I, you know, what we talk about as a group then, so people talk to the, the folks at their tables and then we start to do some facilitated discussion more broadly. And what we talk about is there's really only a couple ways to create more capacity. One of them is that you can figure out how to combine some of the legs of your spiders. So for example, if exercise and time with friends were both places that you were feeling under-realized and you want to be more realized in the future, perhaps you could start taking a morning walk in the neighborhood with somebody who lives on your street, right? So you're sort of killing two birds with one stone. The other way is to really outsource something that isn't giving you joy. So for example, if you're really, really optimized on housework, you're at a five, you know, you're really doing a great job on housework, but you're suffering because you're not spending enough time with your kids or your partner, maybe that's a place where you decide you want to do some outsourcing. Can you actually just say like two words about, um, you know, feeling optimized with something and then wanting to outsource it versus feeling like I'm at a three on this and I want to be at a five. And so the way to get from a three to five is to outsource it. Sure. So I think places where if there's if there are areas of your life that you are doing a lot, but it is not giving you joy. So you're sort of fully quote unquote satisfied in terms of you don't think you should be spending more time there, but it's not giving you a lot of incremental joy. And I think housework is a really great example for me. Then that's a real opportunity to maybe think about a different way to get that work done so that you can reallocate some of your own time. Another example would be, you know, I have lots of friends who do homework with their children and they're spending a lot of time doing that. And the children are not really enjoying the time together. The parents are not really enjoying the time together. And perhaps having a tutor or having the other parent do some of that work might actually get a better outcome for everyone involved and free up some time for you to do something you like, like cook or spend time with friends or maybe spend time with that child doing something other than homework. Got it. Thank you. So, so we have this great discussion around sort of the issue of whether you can create more time. And on balance, in most cases, that can work on the margins. But the real opportunity here is to reallocate time. It's to pick some things where maybe you're doing more and move it to places where maybe you're doing not enough. And I'll give you a real example from my own life. So a few years ago, I did my own spider. I always do this with my teams. And one of the things I discovered is that I was at a five on exercise. I had made a commitment a few years prior doing this very same exercise where I had gotten my, I'd said, I really need to spend more time getting back in shape after having kids. And I had gotten to the point where I was exercising seven days a week. And as I did my spider chart, I realized that I was at a five on exercise and I was at like a two on my relationship with my husband. And it was a real moment for me because I thought, wow, if I go down to a four on exercise, I can still stay in really good shape, right? Maybe I can work out five days a week instead of seven. And I can use that extra time to maybe go to breakfast with my husband and my kids on the weekend or to spend time with him doing something else. And I think those moments where you realize that you're sort of out of whack are real opportunities for change. Thank you for sharing that. That was really helpful and beautiful and uh, you know, somewhat vulnerable. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. And so this actually leads us into the end. That sort of is the crescendo. So after we've done the spider exercise and identified the couple of places where we really want to make a change, um, we work on the last template. And the last template is a two by two. I am a management consultant, Mamie. And the two by two is essentially the two primary things we want to have be different two years from today. So two real goals and then there are spaces next to those two goals. So you have an opportunity to write the goals and the spaces are empty. 
And so I give participants a few minutes to step back and say, what are the two things I want to be really different on my spider in a few years? And then we do an exercise called Feed Forward that I got from a great friend of mine from Bain & Company named Rebecca Shearer. And this idea of feed forward is an opportunity to brainstorm with a partner at your table about how to best go about accomplishing those goals, maybe some early ideas or some early steps in a way that avoids us being defensive or immediately discounting someone else's ideas. So for example, a few years ago, I was working with a colleague at the table and one of her goals was that she really wanted to get in shape and she was working a lot and she had young kids and she really wanted to get in better shape. And so she was sitting next to me. And so we were partnered up. And so the way Feed Forward works is we take two minutes on a timer. And for the two minutes on the timer, the first person in the pair tells the other person, here's my goal. And they don't give any other context. And so the other person in the pair doesn't really know much, but they immediately start brainstorming ideas. And the person in the pair who has the goal is writing down those ideas and nodding and smiling. And they're not saying, no, I can't do that, or I've already tried that, or that won't work. None of that's happening. You're just nodding and smiling and writing down ideas from the other person. And and as you do that over the two minutes, the second person in the pair who's ideating starts to build momentum because nobody's saying, no, that's a bad idea, or I can't do that. And so they start to build momentum and they get more creative and they come up with more interesting ideas. And the person in the pair who needs the ideas is writing them down. And at the end of that two minutes, even though maybe 80% of the things on the list won't work in your special situation, maybe 20% of the ideas really are new and novel and something that you can work with. And so we go through that exercise. First one person goes and then the other person goes and we do it for each of the two goals. And it's this amazing end to the day that's really optimistic and exciting and energizing. Oh, I can't wait for that part of this. So can you just say a few words about what happens afterwards? Is the thinking that came out of this entire exercise used throughout the year or is this kind of a contained thing and then the person's on their own with their feed forward ideas to now move things forward? Yeah, so here's what I'll say. You know, many of the goals that show up have to do with work because we're doing this in the office context and a lot of us, for a lot of us, our job is a really important part of our lives. And so what I recommend for folks is that the pieces that are work related either make it into their planning for their work team for the next year, or if they're more about individual development, that they make it into their IDP, their individual development plan. And so people have the responsibility individually to take that forward. For the items that are more sort of life related or outside of work related, what I ask at the end is that everybody who's worked with a partner Take it on as a personal mission in the next year when they see the partner they worked with to ask how that partner is doing on their goal. And I'll give you two examples. So I talked to you about the woman who had been my partner who wanted to get back in shape. Well, one of the ideas we had is that it sounds simple, but that she could get a treadmill for her house because she was having trouble getting out to the gym. And so every time I checked in with her over the course of the year, I would ask her how that was going and whether she had made any progress. And I will tell you, she ended up doing it. And was really delighted with herself for having taken the step, moved forward and gotten the treadmill. A second example that I love is one of the gentlemen who had come to the session for many years in a row, left unbeknownst to me with a goal of getting with a financial planner. As he had done his reflection, his best future self at the beginning, he realized that he was nearing retirement and then he and his wife had not really sat down and done the planning that they needed to do. And he brought this back up later when he was working on the two-by-two, on the goal exercise with his partner. And the partner had suggested some ideas and even given him some names. Well, this man left and went and met with a financial planner literally later that month and got himself and his wife on a pathway to real long-term financial sustainability into retirement. And and that just makes me smile because it was really a couple of hours spent in December at work 
that created so much space and really made him feel so much better about his future. Before we wrap up, as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you share one of the rock star managers that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with and for and what made that person so awesome? Mamie, I'd love to do that. I have had so many tremendous managers over the course of my career, and I think about them all the time, and I use so many of the things that they've given me. The one who immediately comes to mind for me is Lee Delaney. He's now the president of BJ's Wholesale, but he was a partner at Bain & Company when we worked together. The thing about Lee that really stands out is that he constantly, constantly asked me to do things at work for my clients that I really had no experience doing. So he would give me challenges that I had no lived experience with. And his expectation was that I would figure out how to do it. And time and time again, Lee asked me to do things that I I didn't know if I could do them. I, I really had no idea how I would get there. And then time and time again, I would actually be able to do them and to add value. And that lesson of really stretching the people who are on my teams and having aspirations and expectations for them that so exceed their own has been something that I've taken with me and used over and over again. And I'm just grateful to Lee for that. Beautiful. So beautiful. Okay. Lastly, where can people learn more about you or what you're up to or anything else? Well, one of the legs of my spider, Mamie, that I really need to work on is my participation online. But I do have aspirations to be a better blogger and writer on LinkedIn. And so that's probably the best place to start. Fantastic. And we will put your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes so everyone can find that. Great. Thanks so much, Mamie. Thank you, Carrie. I know we went really quickly through that process, but that was because there was just so much to cover. So I hope that you will give this a try with your team and re-listen to this episode if you need to. And to help you, Carrie is providing her templates and worksheets to members of the Modern Manager community. To get this bonus, along with prior guest bonuses and full episode guides, go to mamieks.com slash join. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash join. Also, please don't forget, go to managerialgreatness.com and tell me about a rockstar manager that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with and for, and what made this person so fantastic. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be in your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which is at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.